man's weakness and considering 25 years. A uh, couple things. Next Sunday is the 25th anniversary of the church, or that's the day that we slayed it. It's actually the 19th, so it's this week. Um, so 25 years as a church. want to encourage you to come early. Uh, we will set up, we will have set up a donut wall. If you've never seen one of those, you need to come early. Nine o'clock, we are going to have donuts and coffee set up, so we will have extra time um, for that. Listen, if you haven't had an opportunity to RSVP, hopefully you're just new. RSVP, you can do that online at our website, trinityfla.org, um, or perhaps somehow you've fallen through the cracks and you haven't had an opportunity to do that yet. Please do that today. Um, this week, food will be purchased based on that number. So please, please take care of that. Also, I want you to note that on Friday, August 27th, uh, the installment service at Crosswalk for Alex Bowman will be taking place, okay? So you're invited to that. So that's happening Friday, August 27th. You are invited to that and uh, would appreciate just, yeah, let's support the Bowmans there. And then on Wednesday, September 1st, will be a farewell party here um, for the Bowmans. So please make note of both of those dates. And that's it. Let's dive into the sermon. All right. Our God is. It's point number one. I'm going to dive right into no introduction. Just dive into the point, And here's why. Because that's what the psalmist does. All right. So reading again, Lily read it to us earlier. But again, verse number one. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. That's how the psalmist launches into Psalm 90. He wastes no time getting right to it. He's diving right into the deep waters of who God is. Look again, he's Lord, Lord, you have been, he's the dwelling place, right? That means he's the refuge, he's the hiding place, he's our shelter. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever, you had formed the earth. What is that? He's the creator. He forms the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. What is that? He's eternal, he has no beginning. He has no end. That's how the psalmist launches into the psalm. And I want to come behind Brett and just announce that, you know, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a mini list of attributes of God. And we've created that equipped class knowing our God so that we can spend more time than just a quick point in a sermon, but more time. Each week we'll cover one attribute of God for seven weeks and uh, invite you to that class. Uh, it's how I like to start most. If I'm leading a prayer meeting, it's how I like to start is really what this psalm is doing. Let's start with who is God. Before we launch into here's my list, God. Let's start with God. This is who you are. And it's beautiful to see that here on the page. Um, it informs, right? It stirs our heart to consider who God is. And then it informs our minds as to who it is that we're praying to, because we can be more aware of our lists being brought to God than we are about who he is. 
And the psalm is helping us to pray. And so that's how I want us to now pause and pray over our sermon. Let's pray. God, you're Lord. You're Lord. You are the sovereign Lord. You are ruling and reigning. You rule and reign over your creation. Lord, there's not a star in the sky. There's not a grain of sand on the oceans of the world that is misplaced. You're Lord. (laughs) And we are not. And so we submit ourselves to your sovereign rule and reign. You're the master. You're the dwelling place. Lord, your people of the Old Testament that we read about, they were wandering. They were strangers in a strange land. They were exiles. Lord, and you revealed yourself to those people as you are their dwelling place. You're the refuge among the surrounding nations, among the, among the enemies around you. You're the shelter, the dwelling place. Lord, thank you that even today we are those wanderers living in as strangers in a strange land, exiles in this world. Lord, this, this place is not our home. And yet you are our dwelling place already and not yet. Lord, there will be a day. Lord, you are, you are the God of our future dwelling place where we will live with you for all eternity. You are creator. Lord, all that we see, all that we are, all that is, is because you are God, creator. You have made it all. We are breathing creatures this morning because you're God, you're the creator. Lord, you have given us life, and for that, we thank you. Lord, you are eternal. You have no beginning. You have no end. Lord, this this confounds our minds. You are glorious. You are beyond us. You are infinite. We are finite. Lord, so we come to you this morning, eternal God, who has no beginning and no end, and we look to you in your holy scriptures. Because of all things, this Lord of ours, this eternal one, has so determined before the beginning of time to reveal yourself to us, our hearts this day. So here we find ourselves in a church building hearing your word preached. Oh, you are the Lord. You're the eternal creator. You're our dwelling place. Be praised today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And that's how I wanted to preach verse Verses one and two, the first point is just simply through prayer. Do you know this awesome, glorious God of Psalm 90? Frankly, human words cannot do this text justice. Psalm 90 is bigger than Tim, bigger than my ability to preach Psalm 90. It's better, it's more glorious. I can't can't create its glory. Its glory is simply there. Pray to the Lord to reveal the glory found on these pages. Do you know this awesome, glorious God? I don't mean, do you believe in him? Bible tells us that the demons believe. I mean, do you know him? Do you know this God that's written on the pages? Are you growing in your knowledge of him? So the psalmist starts off with who our God is, and then he moves, point number two, to who we are. And really the psalm, this is how the psalm will progress. It's going to show us 
a compare and contrast. It's going to compare the Lord who's eternal, who's creator, who's the dwelling place to us, the created, the limited. And so it will compare and contrast and it will place us rightly. It will put us in our right place, humbled and in a posture of worship. He's the Lord, dwelling place, creator, eternal. Who are we? Let's look. Verse 3. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. I say here we are ch- children, child, childly dusty. <laughs> We're children dustiness. That's what we are. We're we're being compared to verses one and two, to the eternal Lord creator. That's who God is. Who are we? We're children of dust. From dust we came to dust we will return. For a thousand years in your sight as but as yesterday, when it is past or as a watch in the night. And so the, the text here is recalling for us It should be calling us back to Genesis 3. Because Genesis 3, the Lord um, was speaking to Adam, and it's the curse that God is bringing to Adam. I'll read it for you. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so we can look at this this text and you go, well, point one is about the glories of our God, the infinitude of our God. And point two is about the finiteness of man. This is who we are stacked next to the almighty eternal God. And it's beautiful. Calls our hearts to worship. God is glorious. God is eternal in his perfections. Man is temporary. Man is childness, dustiness. Verse four, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. So thousand years, it's, it's setting us into a context because, because we are created beings. We, we count things. We are timely creatures. We have a beginning, we have an end, and God is eternal. And because God is eternal, he is stable, he is unchanging, he is faithful throughout generation after generation after generation. God is eternal, and he's unmoved in his character. God is who God is, and who God will be is who he is. And he is faithful, and he is steadfast in his love towards us. And the comparison is just to simply put us in our right place. Because in our sinfulness, we like to elevate ourselves. Stick our chest out. Be pretty proud of our accomplishments and our things and our goings abouts. And the scripture is just showing us, oh, you return man to dust. The comparisons being made here is to put us in our place. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday. It's to say to us, you and me, we're not God. John Calvin says, the imagination that we shall have long life resembles a profound sleep in which we are all benumbed 
until meditation upon the heavenly life, that's what's happening here, swallows up this foolish fancy respecting the length of our continuance upon earth. We think, wow, she lived to be 94 years. It's a long time. On the screen is, not sure how to pronounce, but I will say Cain Tanaka. She was born in 1903. That's Cain that's on the screen. When, on the screen here, she's 20 years old. So that's uh, 1923. Now here's what's amazing about it is she's still alive, all right? She's still alive. So next picture is her day and age. Yeah, she's 118. 118, if you did the math, um, 118. She is the oldest living person on the earth right now, um, as best as anybody can tell, um, as far as records go. And here we are, and I'm looking at that, and I'm going, man, we're celebrating 25 years. (laughs) You know? How old she was 25 years ago? Do the math, right? She was 93. 93. When we started this church, she was 93. And if someone would have told her, you know, as she came to Trinity, that in 25 years you'll still be here when we're celebrating 25th anniversary, we'd all be going, wow! Thousand years to God? That's like yesterday. We think, wow, that's just crazy. I don't want to live 118 years it sets us in our right place right it humbles us and gives us heart to worship to consider you and i we're not god we're not eternal we we are not the creator we're the created we came from the dust to the dust we will return meaning we have a beginning and we will one day have our end and here we see god sweeps look at how he says of the thousand years you sweep them away that the them there that's getting swept away that's referring back to verse 4 that's the thousand years so god sweeps the thousand years away as with a flood They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning, it flourishes and is renewed, meaning the start of the thousand years, right? It's renewed, it flourishes, and then what does he say? In the evening, it fades and withers. So the end of the thousand years. This is poetry. We're in the Psalms. God sweeps away a thousand years like a flood. Have you seen the pictures that came out of Germany last month? They had floods in Germany and Western Germany, parts of Belgium and the Netherlands. Um, Yeah, that where a house, you know, used to sit near a river. You know, somebody's trusses are in the the muck there swept, swept away. And we go, wow, the power of a raging river. A once beautiful home that sat perched on the side of a riverbank, and now the raging rivers cause it to flood, and the whole home starts to crumble and crash and gets caught up in the raging flood. That's what, when, when God says, what's a thousand years like in the perspective of God, it's like that. It's, it's just that God, God's raging river just sweeps a thousand years away. So what's the point there of the psalm? What's the psalmist getting at? It's that we set our hearts on these few brief years of our life. Our 70, 80, 90 years and we think, wow, what a long life. 
How finite are we? We tend to think that this brief life of ours, thousand years, gets swept like a flood. Our 90 years, our whatever years, we start to think that in this brief life, this brief life is the main event. And when we do, all the while, we miss the glory of the reality that the best is yet to come. The glory is not in our brief 80 years. The glory is yet to come. And so he says in verse six, in the morning it flourishes. I mean, at the start of the, the thousand years, we could say that of our own lives. And in, in, in the beginning of life, you flourish, right? Like we get to our, our 20s, into our 30s, and we say things in regards to, you know, he or she is in the prime of life. You're renewed. I got strength. We get a little bit older, right? We wake up and we're like, I got injured. I got injured last night sleeping. My body hurts. I'm no longer renewed, right? We are, we are, we are in the evening, it fades. And again, scripture's talking about the thousand years, but here we are putting ourselves into that context. We're not going to live a thousand years. We're probably not going to live a hundred years. And this is the reality. Next to a thousand years, and then it first set us in the context of the eternal, the eternal one. Like a flood, they're gone. I, I will say the 25 years of us being a church, like a flood, they're gone. What just happened here, right? You look at the pictures around and you just go, wow, what just happened? We can look at 25 years as a church and think, wow, that's so long. And it is. And then we read about a thousand years being swept like a flood in the eternity of God, and we go, man, it's not. <laughs> and it's not. I remember when we were a church that was four years old, five years old, and we would have struggles and problems just like any church, and we're trying to figure it out, and we'd just say, well, we're in kindergarten. That's what we are. We're a bunch of kindergartners. We are a bunch of kindergartners, um, can't say it, uh, doing church together. This is where we are. And then we were like 12 years old. We are preteens. What a mess. This is, this is why it's a mess. We're preteens. And then we got to be 15 years old. And like, yeah, we're teenagers. <laughs> yeah, we are full on teenagers here at Trinity. And here we are, 25 years old. And you don't plan for that. You don't think about that. 25 years, it's nothing. But here's the thing. Here's what's cool about 25 years. When the church does 25 years, it's not 25 years. Meaning, when the church does gospel ministry, it's rooted in eternity. Like, that's so cool to me. Like, oh, just want to just, all right, let's give our lives away. Why do we want to give our lives away? Why do we encourage us to think 
We don't exhort you, whoever's doing the offering on any given Sunday. We exhort us, all of us, give generously. Why? Why, why do we encourage us last week and challenging us to serve radically? Why do we want to serve radically? Why do we want to give our lives away? Why do we want to give our finances or give our, our energy or give of our time? Come on, time is precious. Clock is ticking. Sacrifice. Why do we want to sacrifice for children in a children's ministry? Why would we want to do that? Why would we want to consider the elderly or consider the disadvantaged? Why would we want to encourage you to think about going to Bolivia on a mission trip to care for orphans there? Why why do we want to do these things? Why do we want to care for the children in our own church, in our children's ministry? Why? Because it's rooted in eternity. Because when you're involved in gospel ministry, you're not talking a year or 10 years or 25 years. What's happening in your church today is rooted in eternity. And so when you, let's just say, okay, so sign me up for the children's ministry, right? That should be on our hearts. Sign me up for the children's ministry that we make the connection. I'm not just serving next Sunday. I'm not having an impact on a child for a day, for a 30-minute or a 45-minute time segment scheduled. No, we should be in prayer before God. Oh, Lord, set this day in eternity. Lord, capture children's hearts for your glory. Not so they can say, we're still here 25 years later, but that we can say, oh, you captured their hearts for eternity. That's what we want to be about. Because you're not doing something in your church for a year or five years or 25 years. Some of you have been here the entire time. Those are swept away. Thousand years of those gone, swept away, never to be seen again. You're investing not in 25 years. You're investing in eternity. You serve children and orphans and the poor and the downtrodden that they might hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, children's ministry is not child care. God forgive us for thinking in that, that frame. No, it's not child care. It is men, women, hear me. It is prepare and pray to dazzle them with the glories of your God. This is not the passing on of information. This is not, let me tell you in some boring, stale way about my God. This is dazzle the children with the glories of God so that their hearts might be set, not in a year or 10 years or 25, but in the eternity of our God. Because Trinity's brief years is swept away. But what we do, what we serve, and what we give, and what we steward inside this building for the Lord is eternal. You see, the young people of this church will one day quickly replace us. 
And we want the message of the gospel to not be a one-generation wonder. And if that, these, this text is true, which it is, a thousand years get swept away, then we need to consider next week. Next week. 25 sure has gone by fast. Let's consider how we might give our lives away with a heart towards eternity to serve for the glory of our God. Number three, because God is and because we are, we're filling in the blanks here. Let's jump to verse seven. For you are brought to an end by your anger. Wow, this text just shifted, didn't it? All right, so what's going to happen here is you got the compare and contrast. First of all, God's eternal. God's, God's glories are on display. Second of all, us, we're dust, and we're returning to dust. So, all right, there's your comparison. Why are we dust returning to dust? Because we are sinners. Takes us back to Genesis 3. Because God's eternal, because of his His character, his perfections, because man is sinful, that's what comes next. Verse seven, we have, we have a God of wrath is what's coming. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Well, let's keep going for a minute. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the powers of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Amen. Yeah, so you've got... The idea behind the first two verses, point number one, is that God is glorious. He's eternal in his perfections. The idea behind the second point is that man is temporary and we are childish dustiness. Point number three is the result when you marry point number one and point number two. The result when you marry God's eternal in all of his perfections, man is sinful and will return to the dust. Marry those two together and you get the wrath of God. Now you may be new to Trinity and you're going, wow, where's this going? Well, we're just going to follow the text, all right? And we'll see where it goes, right? Hang with me because, because people start getting nervous. Wait, why is God so angry? And we start going, I don't, I don't, I don't want a God of wrath. Actually, you do. You do. Or we could ask it like this. He tells us to number our days. Why are we numbering our days? Well, it's because of point two. Because man is sinful. Because of man's sin, our days are numbered. And so the scripture is calling us to be sober to the realities of who we are and who he is. Or we could say it like this. The reason we will one day die is because of sin. It's true. The New Testament says it like this. You know it well. The wages of sin is death. 
oh, but we don't like to talk about sin or death. We want to ignore those subjects. We want to like kind of push those to the side and not think about those things. But the psalm is calling us to think about those things. Actually, Scripture does. Wider than just this psalm, for sure. And we are powerless to avoid the two subjects with everything that's in us we try to avoid. That's how the sovereign Lord is at work. He is the sovereign Lord. We are children of the dust. And we try to avoid both the reason why we're children of the dust, sin, and the fact that we're children of the dust, death. And we try to pretend that they just don't exist, or we push them to the, to the exteriors of our life and just think, well, you know what? This is what we say. I'm not perfect. Well, right? Duh. Duh, right? We know we're not perfect. But what are we doing there? We're trying to push that, that sinfulness that's in our hearts to the outer edges of our life and try to pretend I'm just not that bad, Right? And we convince ourselves, not me. I mean, I see it in him. I definitely get it in her. Like, that's bad. That's bad. But I'm not that bad, right? And when we downplay our sin, our sinfulness, what we're doing, hear me, we're downplaying the character of God. That's what's going on there. You say, no, I'm not downplaying. Yes, we are. We downplay his righteousness. We downplay his perfections, his holiness to then make our sinfulness comfortable. At least in our own mind, we deceive ourselves. In our own mind, I'm in a comfortable place with God. And that's why you need to hear wrath preached. When we downplay sin, we downplay God's character. God is a holy God. If you have a minimal view of his holiness, then, hey, you're good to go. But if he is perfect in holiness and righteousness, we ought to be shaking. A low view of sin is a low view of God. A low view of sin is a low view of God's holiness, his righteousness, his wrath. I'm not that bad. I mean, come on. Let me, t- let me ask you. If you and I are not that bad, why is he hanging on the cross? Humanity is driven to this low view of sin and low view of God. Why? Because we don't want to admit that we're sinners deserving his wrath, which ultimate, in an ultimate eternal sense, is hell. Hell. Friends, if all of us are not that bad, again, why did Christ come and die? Why is he hanging on the cross? Why did he die? Because all of those people out there are just not that bad. It just kind of needs a little bit of salvation. Or, thanks Jesus, but I got this. I'll do it on my own through my own righteousness, my own good deeds, my works of religion is what's going to save me. So thank you for dying on the cross. You really didn't need to do that. I got it. 
And all of that is making little of our sins. And we start to prop ourselves up by doing these good works, these good activity, and we think these good things might be the answer to this big sin problem that I'm talking about. But God, not our measly efforts, is the standard of perfection. The standard is perfection. And that's why, verses 7 and 8, our sins are before you. Or we could say it like this. There's no place to hide in our sinfulness. What does that recall to you? Adam and Eve in the garden. They've sinned. And where do we find them? Hiding from God. As if that was possible. That's their attempt anyways. That's our attempt. In any of this activity, any religious activity that's going on in the world today is just an attempt to hide from God, from our sins. And we think, yeah, God can't see my sinfulness because I'm hiding behind all these wonderful religious activities. He must be blind to my sin. I'm that good. Nothing's changed in our hearts. We think we're hiding from the gaze of God. No one's hiding. Rather than hiding, he offers to be our hiding place. That's an interesting phrase, right? An interesting concept throughout scripture is this idea that God is our hiding place or our refuge or our shelter or our dwelling place. What does that mean? It means that we're sinners and wanderers in this world and in our sin, we try to hide from God. But God came and he died on the cross and he made atonement for our sins. He's forgiven all of our sins so that you and I would no longer have to hide from God, but now we can hide in God. Meaning, We can confess our sins and repent of our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins or we might say he on the cross becomes our hiding place. Hiding from what? Hiding from who? Who's the enemy here? God. It's the wrath of God. We run to Christ as our hiding place because wrath is aimed at our sinfulness. That's why we repent. That's why we cry out to him. Listen, I understand. I understand you may walk into here the first time here and you're going, wow, is he really going to keep going on about the wrath thing? Yes, because we need to hear it preached from God's word because we're falsely assured and deceived. All is well. I'm high. I look at the great job I'm doing at hiding from God. The only person you're fooling is yourself. How foolish for Adam and Eve to hide in the bushes from the God who created the bushes. (laughs) That's what we do. That's the foolishness of sin. Christ received how is, it, how is God the hiding place? Christ received the wrath that your and my sins deserved. That's what the cross is about. He's hanging on the cross to take our sins upon himself to receive the justified wrath of God. That's why we say he is our substitute. 
substitutionary atonement. He stood in my place, received the Father's wrath on our behalf. That's why you can sing, I'm forgiven. At the foot of the cross, I'm forgiven. That's in what sort of way is he our hiding place? That's it. He's your refuge. So verse nine, he says, all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. And it's over. And that's true. Every day is another day where we march towards eternity. And so verse 10 and 12 through 12 calls us to consider the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. True? True. Sounds like Ecclesiastes, doesn't it? They are soon gone, we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? I hope we are. That's the intent here in this point. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Yes, Lord, give us a heart of wisdom. So we think that 70 or 80 years or 90 years or whatever it is is a long time. We we trouble and toil and then it's gone. And the psalm, the word of God is unchanging over the years since the day this poem was written. Nothing's changed. The nature of sin is to ignore sin. I'll deal with it later. I'll dismiss it. I'll soften it up by being a better person to people around me. I'll try to boost my good deeds and righteousness. And I'll ignore that God's wrath, that whole thing that Tim was talking about this morning, is even a thing. I'll furthermore ignore that there is a hell, the ultimate place of God's wrath. And I will assure myself that if there is such a place, that I certainly would not go there because look, I'm a good person. And this is painful to say, but that's not, I didn't just give you the sentiment of the world. Painful to say, but I just preached to you what is often preached in our churches across America. Let's make sure that we make everybody in the seat comfortable so you come back next week. And bring your friends so we make them comfortable in their destination of hell as well. Lord, help us. We are a society that lives for the moment. And the psalm is calling us to stop it and live your life for eternity. And know that you have a limited number of days. You have X number of days. We don't know the date on the calendar, but there is one. And then it's over. And all we've done with our 80 years is we've invested it in those 80 years. What are we doing? We are a people who count everything. We count miles to the moon. We count distance between the stars. Many of you have a watch on your wrist that counts how many steps you take today. We count it all. We count our money. We count the loss of money. We count our golf shots. More, some of us count more shots than others. We count endless statistics and sports. We count our wins and our losses. We count the number of days until we vacation. We count, we count, we count, but we don't like to count our days, especially when we're getting into the evening of days. It's a funny thing. You get to be my age and you start going, you know, birthdays just, you know, then you just kind of downplay the birthdays. Why? Because the number of them has added up and we know it and it's getting to be a number we're no longer comfortable with. One of the best things you can do for your life is to consider your 
death. Because you will spend a whole lot longer time in eternity than you will in your few days here on the earth. Count your days, the psalmist wisely tells us. Lastly, and very quickly, and the worship team can join me, number four is our God is. You say, I think that was point one. It is. It was. <laughs> That's how the Psalms operate. They often take us back to where they began. And so it's the bookends of the Psalm. It begins with, our God is. He's the Lord. He's the creator. He's eternal. He's the hiding place. And it ends with, our God is grace and mercy. Hear it again, verse 13 through 17. Make us glad Wait, 14, 13, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Don't forget what series we're in. We're in summer psalms of joy. After all that wrath talk, wait a minute. I thought this was supposed to be summer songs. It is. Praise be to God. We don't have to look at as we count, we number our days and the limits that we are, that we are finite creatures. All oh, the best is yet to come. So satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yet establish the work of our hands. It's a beautiful conclusion. It's a beautiful. So verse three, we have, we are dust. Verse 13, it's a prayer for mercy because we're dust. Verse three, the psalmist gets it. Do we? The New Testament can be heard echoing back over this prayer here in the Psalms. 2 Corinthians 4, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self, this is the believer in Jesus Christ, is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal perishable, fading away things are being contrasted in these ending verses to the non-perishable forever glory of God's activity. In verse 17, he says, not only God's work, not only the work of his hands, but let our efforts, it's beautiful, let our efforts have the favor of our God. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands should be the prayer like if we were to bust into a prayer meeting right now, in light of who God is, now we pray, oh God, bless the work of our hands. Bless our efforts. Somebody serving with the children this morning. Bless their efforts this morning, we pray. Someday this church will celebrate a 50th anniversary. Many of us will not be here for that party. And so we pray, verse 17, let the work of our hands endure generation to generation to generation. Let it endure. Let it last beyond our little 25 years together. Let's stand together. Praise be to our God.